Tonight I'm going to talk about the defilements and the three trainings. All of you have come here to practice meditation, more precisely to practice vipassana meditation. But why are you here? Marcia has already asked you this question in her talk last Saturday. Somewhere in the depth of the heart, there is this murmur, as Marcia has called it. And this murmur is some vega, or spiritual urgency. Often it is difficult to put it in, into words, but somehow we know that something is there. On a more superficial level, <coughs> the answers to the question why you are here can differ quite a bit from person to person. A more obvious or practical motivation to practice Vipassana meditation might be to reduce stress or to develop wisdom and compassion or the motivation might be to get rid of thoughts or to become enlightened or it might be to get rid of the ego. In spring of this year, when I was teaching a seven-week retreat in Australia, one man came all the way from Denmark, from Europe, to Australia to do that retreat. And his motivation to do the retreat was, as he told me in an individual meeting, to get rid of his ego. Another possible answer to do this practice is to do it as a preparation for death. Mahagandayon Sayadaw was a very famous monk and teacher in Burma. He passed away some 30 years ago. Once a friend of him, who was also a monk, had written a letter to him asking him how he was doing and what uh, he was doing. And so Mahagandayon Sayadaw's answer to the question, what are you doing, was, I am preparing for death. So all his activities that Mahagandayon Sayadaw was doing were aimed at accumulating goodness and developing wisdom so that at the time of death he would be able to pass away with a peaceful mind and a smile on his face rather than being overwhelmed by fear, anxiety or restlessness. Of course, the ultimate goal of the Buddha's teaching is to abandon all sources of dissatisfaction and suffering and to attain a perfect state of happiness and peace. But on the way to this ultimate goal, we can have smaller goals 
that seem to be in the reach of our abilities. To reach this ultimate goal of happiness and peace, we need to do something, because perfect peace will not happen or manifest out of the blue. All those who have realized this highest goal had to do some work, namely the work of purifying their hearts and minds. The purification of the heart and mind involves the abandoning of the defilements on the one hand and the development of wisdom and compassion on the other hand. In order to achieve this goal, the Buddha proposed a very practical way that can be applied by anyone who is interested in the purification of the heart and mind. And this way is called the Noble Eightfold Path, a path that has eight factors and that can be divided into three groups. The groups of Sila, Samadhi and Panya, or morality, concentration and wisdom. The first group, the Sila aspect, can be fulfilled by living a virtuous life, which means to follow a set of ethical guidelines. And the Buddha proposed the five precepts as a means to live a decent life. And as you know, the five precepts are to abstain from killing living beings, to abstain from stealing, to abstain from sexual misconduct, to abstain from telling lies, and to abstain from taking intoxicants, which could cloud the mind and cause heedlessness. The second group, the Samadhi aspect, can be realized through the development of one-pointedness, one-pointedness of mind, which means a concentrated state of mind. And this can also lead to the attainment of the absorptions or the jhanas. Then the third group, the Panya, aspect, the wisdom group, this can be realized through the practice of vipassana meditation. As you know, the basic instructions for vipassana meditation are quite simple and straightforward. Something like to be mindful of everything that arises in the body and mind in order to see them to see things as they truly are. However, if we, are, if we want to put these instructions into practice, we soon come to realize that it is not that easy. And we see that this is a kind of work that is not so easily done. If it, if it were an easy thing to do, then people would flock to meditation retreats 
in the thousands, they would do the work, would become enlightened, and then go home. But the case is not like this. It would be nice. So to do this work, the practice of meditation, we need either some understanding or we need an encouragement from a friend. Or maybe we have to go through a life crisis or a serious illness. Or we simply discover a deep and nagging dissatisfaction with life. So those who have no incentive or good reason to, get, to engage in this practice, they see this work, this practice, as something meaningless or useless, or at least a boring thing to do. At least in the West, people might think so. In Burma, where I have ordained, there is a general understanding that meditation is the best thing you can do. In my early years, uh, I, I invited my parents to come and visit Burma to see where I was and what I was doing. And so we hired a car and drove around Burma to visit the famous pagodas and temples. And as a Westerner, and especially as a nun, I stood out. I was also about a head taller than most of the Burmese. <laughs> and so when we went to see a pagoda or a temple, the Burmese people, which are usually very open-hearted, very friendly, very outgoing, they would come up to me and with their hands in Anjali, they would say, oh, how good. You are here and you are a nun. Where are you staying? And so then I would tell them that I was staying in the center of Saida Ujanaka. And then they would go, oh, very good. Yes, we know him. He's a very famous monk. And it's really good that you're practicing meditation and uh, that you're a nun. And so then I would say yes and would say, this is my mother and this is my father. And then the Burmese people, they would turn over to my parents and say, oh, your parents, you are the luckiest parents in the world. Your daughter is practicing meditation and she's even a nun. She is doing the best thing in the world one can do. Oh, your lucky parents. <laughs> and for about a month, my parents had to hear this almost every day. <laughs> And it had some effect. <laughs> they really came to see and understand that what I was doing, practicing meditation, was considered to be a good thing. That people had a lot of respect for those who were practicing meditation. And so they came to understand that what I was doing was not just kind of a weird thing. <laughs> But why does the majority, at least in the West, consider this work or this practice as something that makes no sense, 
or something that is useless or something that is simply a waste of time. For many uh, people, it's because uh, they, they cannot do as they please. So they have heard that one cannot watch TV during a retreat, one cannot listen to music, one cannot go onto the internet, one has to be mindful all the time, <laughs> one cannot eat what one likes and when one likes. And so it doesn't appeal to many people. So it doesn't make sense to them. And so they see no point why one should engage in such a weird practice. And so again, there is the question, why should one engage in something that seems to make no sense or that seems to be weird or boring? But considering the ultimate goal of the Buddha's teaching, the answer is simply, this practice is a practice or a work that needs to be done. Or in other words, it's a work or practice that cannot be left undone. Many, peop many Burmese people understand this, at least intellectually. The practice of Vipassana meditation can also be defined as a practice that leads to the complete abandoning of the defilements. And the Pali word for the defilements is kilesa. Another translation is afflictive states of mind. And in listening to Burmese Dhamma talks, very often the Sayadas, the monks, the teachers, they mention the 1,500 kilesas. So there are many of them. But in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they speak of 84,000 kilesas or afflictive uh, mental states. So whether 1,500 or 84,000, there are many. In the Buddhist scriptures, we have a list of 10 main defilements or kilesas. So I will just mention them briefly uh, to give you an idea. There's loba, which means all forms of greed, wanting, attachment. Then dosa, all forms of aversion, anger, hatred. Moha, not knowing, ignorance, delusion. Then mana, which is conceit or pride. Ditti, which is wrong view. Vichikicha, which is skeptical doubt. Tina, which means sloth, uh, sluggish mind. Then Uttacha is restlessness. Then Ahirika, which means shamelessness. 
and anotapa, fearlessness. Fearlessness means no fear of the consequences of unwholesome deeds. So one way of classifying the kilesas, the defilements, is in regard to how they are manifested. Because the, defi uh, the defilements, they can manifest as physical actions, or they can manifest as verbal actions, which means speech, or the defilements manifested as mental actions, which means thoughts. So the defilements manifested as physical actions um, in regard to the five precepts, these are the three actions of killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct. Then the defilements manifested as verbal actions. In regard to the five precepts, it's the action of telling lies. But when we take into account right speech, then uh, this also includes harsh and rough speech, slandering and frivolous talk. And the kilesas that manifest in the mind are things like greed, aversion, jealousy, pride, craving, restlessness, and so on. Sayadaw O Indaka, one of my teachers in Burma, he compared the kilesas, the defilements, to a poisonous tree. And so whenever people eat the fruit of this poisonous tree, then they obviously will suffer or feel miserable. Or if the fruit is very poisonous, it might lead to their death. And so then, how can this suffering be prevented for oneself and others? One way would be to inform uh, everybody and tell them that this is a poisonous tree. But then maybe a stranger might walk by, uh, see these beautiful fruits, pick a few of them and eat them. And so one could put up a sign warning people about uh, this poisonous fruit. But then maybe a young kid not being able to read could be seduced by this gorgeous looking fruit. So the safest way to prevent any suffering caused by this poisonous tree would be to cut down the tree to get rid of the tree altogether. So then one could cut down the tree and then the tree is no longer there. But if the tree is just cut at the level of the ground, then the roots are still in, in the earth. And if the roots are left there, then with enough 
water or rain and sunshine, the roots might sprout again, and so another tree uh, would be able to grow. So if one wants to completely get rid of this tree, then one has also to, to dig out the roots. Because only when the roots have been taken out, only then uh, would, be, would the job be uh, finished or completed. And so the defilements, the kilesas, are very much like this poisonous tree. Because of these kilesas, living beings are afflicted with physical suffering, with mental suffering. Because of eating the poisonous fruit kilesas, living beings are overcome with greed, aversion, with worries, fear, impatience, and so on. And they suffer from pain, aches, tensions, and so on. So if we want to be free from all the afflictions caused by the kilesas, then we have to completely remove, completely destroy these defilements. And so, in order to completely destroy the three types of kilesas, those manifested as physical actions, verbal actions, and as thoughts, for this we have to practice vipassana meditation. But there is another type of kilesa the so-called latent defilements. The Pali word for it is the anusaya kilesas. And these latent defilements are the defilements that dwell in the mind continuum of living beings. They are described as being in a state of dormancy or latency but they can arise any time when an object hits the sixth sense doors. So I'll give you an example. Imagine that you have finished all your work at home and finally you have time to sit down. So you take a book and start reading. You're at ease and the book is interesting and then all of a sudden, the doorbell rings. And with that, you might have a thought like, oh no, I don't want to have any visitors. Or another example. You're walking down the street, being in a very joyful mood. Then you meet a friend. And while talking to her, she takes out her mobile phone. And, oops, greed is immediately arising because it is much better than the one you have. If she hadn't taken out her mobile phone, then greed would not have arisen. Or if the doorbell didn't ring, the anger, the slight aversion, oh no, that would also not have arisen. 
But because the mind, one of the six sense doors, came in contact with a certain object, greed was triggered in the case of the mobile phone, or aversion was triggered with hearing the, the doorbell ringing. So because greed or aversion was not yet completely uprooted from the mind continuum, it was still present in a dormant or latent state. So these are the uh, Anusaya kilesas, the dormant uh, defilements. As we know, when we practice vipassana meditation, we have to be mindful of whatever arises in the body or in the mind and observe these phenomena as they really are. And during all the waking hours, we have to do this work of being mindful and observe whatever comes up. So for a meditator who is mindfully observing any objects, then the three groups of sila, samadhi, and panya are contained in each moment of mindfulness. The factors of sila are fulfilled by observing the precepts, be that the five precepts or the eight precepts or the rules for the nuns and the monks. Then the factors of samadhi are fulfilled by being concentrated on a particular object in that moment of mindfulness. And the factors of panya are fulfilled by seeing the object as it really is. So by gaining understanding, insights or wisdom. So these three groups can also be referred to as three kinds of training. We have sila sikha, which is the training in morality. The second is samadhi sikha, the training in concentration. And the third one is panya sikha, the training in wisdom. And each of these three kinds of trainings has the power to abandon defilements. So which training can abandon which kinds of defilements? Sila Sika, the training in morality, can abandon those defilements that are manifested in body and speech. So by keeping the precepts, one refrains from killing, stealing and sexual misconduct and as a consequence these kilesas manifested in the body do no longer arise. Then by keeping the precepts and refraining from telling lies, not using harsh speech and so on, 
then as a consequence the defilements manifested as speech do no longer arise. Then the second training, Samadhi Sikha, the training in concentration, this can abandon the defilements manifested in the minds as thoughts. So with a strong enough concentration, then the defilements do not arise in the mind, which means one can abandon them temporarily or strong concentration can suppress these defilements for the time being. As I said, besides these three types of defilements, there is another type, the latent defilements. And they can be compared to the roots of the tree, of the poisonous tree. Like the roots uh, of a tree, which are hidden in the ground, so one cannot see them. And likewise, the Anusaya defile, Anusaya kilesas are difficult to see. They do not um, easily manifest as do the defilements manifested by body, speech, or thoughts. But it is actually these latent defilements that are the causes for the other types of defilements to arise. And so to know and understand them is very important. And in order to completely abandon these latent defilements, we have to practice vipassana meditation. There is no other way to do it. Sila Sikha and Samadhi Sikha, the trainings in morality and concentration, they cannot completely abandon these latent defilements. So it's only through the training in wisdom, the Panya Sikha, that these latent defilements can be uh, completely abandoned. To make it a bit more complicated, the training in wisdom can further be divided into two aspects. One is the wisdom and understanding that we gain from the Vipassana meditation practice or the Vipassana insights. And the other kind of wisdom or understanding is gained at the moment of path knowledge, which happens at the four stages of enlightenment. So when we practice Vipassana meditation, first we will develop the Vipassana 
understanding wisdom by seeing things more and more clearly. And when the vipassana wisdom is mature, then the path knowledge um, will arise. And it is at this moment of attaining path knowledge that some of the defilements are completely uprooted. Then at that moment they are extinguished forever. And with the fourth stage of enlightenment, then all the defilements have completely been uh, uprooted. But with the Vipassana wisdom, we can weaken or diminish these latent defilements. So as I said, when you're practicing Vipassana meditation, with each moment of being mindful of an object in the body or mind, all the three trainings are uh, included. And so as a result, the three types of the defilements manifested as um, physical action, speech, or uh, thoughts, they do not arise in that moment uh, of good mindfulness. And also that the latent defilements, they will rest in their dormant uh, state. For example, imagine that a group of visitors would come into the meditation hall. Well, here it's very unlikely, but in Burma such things happen, can happen at times. And imagine that they would very noisily talk to each other and so disrupt the silence. But with mindfulness, you would not be jumping up and punch the visitors into their face. So that means there would be no defilement manifested as a physical action. Then with good mindfulness, you would not curse the visitors, which means no defilements manifested as speech. And with good mindfulness, you would even not engage in any thoughts about these noisy visitors, which means no defilements on the mental level. So because of being very mindful and just being aware of that noise, maybe noting it as hearing, hearing, there would, uh, there would be no reaction arising. And so, even the latent defilement would not uh, flare up. So in the, with the practice of Vipassana meditation, one is able to temporarily 
abandon their kilesas, the defilements, even the latent ones. And as I said, when the vipassana wisdom becomes mature, then the path knowledge will arise. And at that moment, certain defilements are completely extinguished or uprooted. And once they are completely uprooted, then they are no longer present in the mind continuum, not even in their latent form. And so therefore, the practice of vipassana meditation is something that we have to do. It's not something that we can leave aside because it's only with this practice, with the uh, training in wisdom, the Panyasika, that we can completely abandon all defilements, including the Anusaya Kilesas. As long as they are still present in the mind continuum, they can flare up or manifest in body, speech, or mind when a suitable object is encountered or when the causes and conditions are favorable. Like when you take a mango seed, putting it onto concrete ground into a dark room, nothing will happen. But if you take this mango seed out and put it into fertile ground, water it and with enough, enough warmth, then it will sprout and grow into a tree. Some people assume that it is enough to have um, a pure sila, have unblemished ethical conduct. But with that alone, the defilements are not yet all gone. It's a wrong assumption that by keeping one's sila pure, one will be free from the suffering caused by the defilements. Of course, with a pure sila, one definitely encounters less trouble and suffering. Some people assume that engaging in the Samadhi Sikha, the training in concentration, would be enough to become completely free of the defilements. But again, Samadhi Sikha alone is not enough to completely uproot the defilements. Samadhi, strong concentration, is able to temporarily abandon them or to suppress the defilements, to keep them at bay. If 
one uh, attains deep levels of concentration, even the jhanas, but with a moment or when they come out of jhanas and when they encounter uh, a certain object, then immediately uh, the defilements can flare up again. In one of his previous existences, the Bodhisatta, the Buddha-to-be, came to painfully realize that his defilements were not yet completely abandoned. During that existence, he was a hermit who had fully mastered the jhanas and with that had also attained the supernormal powers. And one of his specialty, so to speak, was to fly uh, through the air. At that, in that existence, he lived in the foothills of the Himalayas and he spent his days in bliss and happiness. As there were no more defilements arising in his mind, he thought that he had completely abandoned them all. Then one year the monsoon was very heavy, so he had to leave that place and go into the lowlands. He ended up staying in the royal garden. The king was full of admiration for this hermit and he offered him the meals every day. The hermit would travel by air to the palace, alight in the courtyard, and accept the king's offering in his chamber. But then one day the king had to leave the palace to subdue some rebels in the eastern part of the country. And before he left, he ordered his wife, the queen, to offer the meals to the hermit. And so, as told by her husband, the queen waited for the hermit to arrive. But on that day, he didn't come uh, at the usual time because he was absorbed in the jhana and he had forgotten the time. When he finally emerged from the jhana, he hurriedly flew over to the palace. In the meantime, the queen had been waiting and assuming that the hermit had forgotten to come, she lay, lay down on the couch to take some rest. But then, when the hermit entered the chamber, the queen immediately got up, and jumping up from the bed, her sarong got loose, slipped down, and exposed her private parts. Because in Asian countries, People usually don't wear underwear. <laughs> and the hermit happened to see that. And right in that moment, the defilements started to arise in his mind. He was overwhelmed by lust and by a strong longing for the queen. And because of these defilements, he could not enjoy the food that was offered to him. Although he had no more desire to eat, 
He ate some of the food and then left to go back to his hut in the royal garden. But on this day, he was no longer able to fly back by the power of his jhana. The invasion of the kilesas, the defilements, prevented him from attaining the jhana. So the hermit, the bodhisattva, had been able to suppress the defilements by means of samadhi sikha, the training in concentration through the attainment of the jhanas. However, the latent defilements were still present in his mind continuum. The nature of these latent defilements is such that they do not arise as long as the mind is not coming into contact with an object that could give rise to a defilement, or they do not arise as long as there is strong mindfulness. In a way, we are all like the hermit. Whenever we are not alert and mindful, the latent defilements will flare up when the mind comes in contact with a certain object. And these latent defilements can also be compared to a dormant volcano. From the outside, the volcano looks calm and no activity can be discerned. Likewise, the mind is peaceful and calm, free from the defilements simply observing the rising and falling movement of the belly or the sensations of the air going in and out at the nostrils. But even a dormant volcano can erupt again at any time when the necessary causes and conditions are present. And likewise, a peaceful and calm mind can be disrupted at any time when an object enters the mind through one of the six sense doors without being mindfully observed. Therefore, in Vipassana meditation, we should try to build up a constant and uninterrupted mindfulness throughout the day, with fewer gaps in the awareness, the latent defilements have a harder time to erupt. And with no eruption of the latent defilements, then they will not manifest in the mind, in speech or in physical actions. And with no defilements, uh, arising, the mind can rest in happiness and peace. Let's sit quietly for a few moments.
And now let's recite the sharing of blessing. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.